Hey, it's great to have you back for another episode of the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast, where we are very, very passionate about helping you grow in your leadership and becoming a leader that people love to follow. It's my great honor to bring on world-class leaders to help stretch you in your leadership, and I'll introduce our guest for today in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you that if you're new with us, I really want to encourage you to get the Leader Guide. It's got detailed information on each episode, as well as discussion questions and additional content to help you and your team grow in your leadership. Go to life.church slash leadership podcast to get the Leader Guide, and we'll send you that content with each new episode. Today, I'm very excited to introduce a great friend of mine, um, one of my favorite spiritual leaders and a person that you're going to love to learn from. Louis Giglio is the founder of the Passion Movement, and this is honestly a movement. It includes Passion Conferences, which are the biggest conferences to college-age students on planet Earth. He is the founder and the pastor of the Passion City Church. Passion Publishing, Six Step Records, and the founder of the Passion Institute. Amongst all that, he's also the best-selling author of Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, fantastic book. And the latest book, I'm going to hold it up in case you're watching, is Putting an X Through Anxiety, Breaking Free from the Grip of Fear and Stress. It is an honor to have you with us, Louis. Welcome aboard, man. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Really, uh, it's a little bit surreal because I'm a partaker. Uh, and an enjoyer of the podcast. It's just great to be on with well, you today. Well, that's an honor because I've I've enjoyed following you and learning from you for years and years, and then to admire you from a distance, but to love you even up close is uh, very meaningful to me. That's awesome. I feel the same way. Yeah. I'm excited to dive into your leadership journey, and a question I like to ask almost all of our guests is, where did it start? I'm curious. There had to be a time somewhere as a young adult that you recognize, oh my gosh, I can actually make a difference in the lives of others. When when did you first discover that you were a leader? I think for me, I think it was probably my senior year of high school. And I wasn't looking to be a leader necessarily. I was more of a troublemaker Mm -hmm. my senior year of high school. But I was running for president of my senior class. And we had to give a speech. We had to do a thing. We had to stand up in front of the entire group of seniors and Mm -hmm. say, here's why you should elect me or choose me to lead you. And uh, I remember the horn honking really loud outside my bedroom window. We live in an apartment, so when you came to to our house, you literally parked like six feet away from my bedroom window. And the horn honked, and I woke up, and I was like, oh my gosh, I overslept, and it's the morning I've got to go and give my speech for the president of the senior class. And my friend picking me up was honking the horn, like, and I look at the clock, and I'm like, oh, we're supposed to be there right now. So I throw my clothes on, don't even take a shower, jump in the car, get to the school, literally walk into the school, and I, it's almost like, and Louis Giglio. Hmm. And up I stand, and I don't have the time to really pull it all together, mm-hmm. but I open my mouth, and in a few moments, I start watching myself communicating a vision for mm-hmm. where we're going as the class of 1976, the mm-hmm. bicentennial year, and what we're going to do as seniors to lead Campbell High School. And I got elected, but I also had a little bit of a revelation mm-hmm. that day. It's like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. I can sort of speak things forward right, and pull people into that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what that meant because I was on the track to be a professional tennis player mm-hmm. at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. That That's a whole nother story. That wasn't going to happen, but that was my vision. But as God turned the ship mm-hmm. and put me in his story as a communicator, it all made sense. And I knew from that moment, there's something 
in my wiring mm-hmm. that has to do with communication, it has to do with vision, mm-hmm. and it has to do with leadership. Yeah. So what's interesting is that that was your senior year. So you were probably 18, 17, 17 or 18 probably. years old. And that had been in your wiring the whole time, but you didn't know it was there. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of the way we're all wired. Yes. We all are wired for a certain thing. It's just a Kairos moment where we're at the right place, the right time, and we can see it, Craig. Mm-hmm. That's the key. We have to have that revelation moment where we see ourselves doing what we were made to do. Yeah. So I, I, that makes me emotional because I think about all the people listening right now that may have more in them than they realize and that they haven't seen it yet. And a lot of people, when I ask them that question here, they'll give a story about about your age, you know, high school, sometimes junior high. But what's interesting is I didn't start teaching leadership until I was 40 years old. And I didn't see myself as wanting to do it. So with I'm only saying that because I can imagine there's a 23-year-old or a 32-year-old or a 40 or 60-year-old that is that there's more in them than they've yet realized. How do you help people as a leader? How do you help them discover what's in them that they haven't seen yet? I think the key is being in the in the right proximity to the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wrong people can totally cause you to miss what God has wired you to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. The right people can help you see it, but not just see it, but see it at the right pace. Right. And when I did get put in God's story and I started communicating to people kind of like, this is what I'm going to do for a living. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to be a tennis player. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stand up in front of people and communicate. People would say to me, Craig, right away, um, positive things. Mm -hmm. And you want that. But the sad thing is, and they say that this to a lot of young communicators, so please don't anybody get too crazy uh, too soon in the podcast. But I think you're going to be the next. And Mm -hmm. then they'd fill in the blank. Right. And I would walk out and get my car and go, there's no way that's going to happen. And if I listened to that, I would have missed me being the first me Mm. by trying to fulfill somebody Mm. else's speaking over me that I was going to be the next somebody else. Because it's turned out I'm not the next somebody else, the person that they kept saying, or the persons they kept saying. I definitely am not either of those persons. I'm a whole different kind of person. So I think it's being around people who have perception mm-hmm. and who also understand pace so that they're helping you see what your wiring mm-hmm. is, but they're also helping you see the process of getting into that zone at the right pace. I like that. You'll be around the right people and they have the right perception and the right pace. We could, we could do something with that. And I like what you said too, that you, you want to be around people that pull stuff out of you. It was interesting. And I want to, I want to ask you about this because I think it could be helpful to some people. How do you learn from someone else you like a lot and yet find your own voice in your own way? So you can't copy them completely, but you'd be silly not to learn. How how do you learn from someone else, but yet still develop your own gifts? Well, everybody does it the same way. You copy somebody. I mean, there's nobody that doesn't copy somebody. I mean, I'm sure someone's listening going, I've never copied anybody. If Mm -hmm. if I had gone the tennis route, Mm -hmm. I... Absolutely was trying to hit my backhand Mm -hmm. like one of my heroes. And it didn't matter whether that's the way I should have been hitting it or the way my coach wanted me to hit it Mm -hmm. or the way that I was wired to hit it. I was going to try to hit it like the person that I had been watching hit it. And when I started communicating, I started communicating exactly like Mm -hmm. my two or three role models, mostly like one of them, guy that most people never heard of. And every message of mine was a version of one of his messages. Mm -hmm. And 
actually it was working great because he was a great communicator mm-hmm. and he'd had the biggest impact on me in my developmental years. Mm-hmm. But in time, Craig, you, you start hearing yourself. And mm-hmm. this is the key thing of leadership. You have to learn how to listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I've listened to him a long time. So I know how to do what he's doing and I'm trying to do that. But then I started eventually listening to me and going, okay, I just heard my voice come through. Mm-hmm. And it's not 100% at first. It's maybe 5% of a message was your voice, but you identified it, and then you built on it, and then eventually you learned, oh, that's my voice. And I'm sure uh, the other day I was preaching a message, I uh, got my whole thing done. It's the week that Charles Stanley mm-hmm. had gone to heaven. And I was on the In Touch website because they were using a message I'd preached at his church for his 85th birthday, and I just wanted to listen to the message again. So I was on the website. I, I was flying home from an event, and I said to Shelly, I'm going to just Google, what does Charles Stanley say about what I'm preaching Sunday? Got the title up into the search bar. Bam, hits a thing. It is exactly my message. Same oh. title. I'm like, okay, this is going to be great. It's 22 minutes long. I start listening to it on the plane. I get, get done and all I am, I'm like, I am preaching Charles Stanley's message uh-huh. this Sunday. Uh-huh. Because that's what was poured into me right. year after year after year after year. So that's still going to be in us when we find our leadership style, the, the, the influences, but learning to hear your voice and then building on that voice allows you to develop a voice. And I've heard every message I've ever given, every one of them, mm-hmm. I've heard it. And so in time, I learned, oh, this is my voice. I got comfortable in my voice, and then I, I wanted to develop my voice. Right. So you mentioned leadership style, and I think a lot of times when I talk to people, they have a view of leaders being the charismatic voice up front. And the reality is like there are, there are so many different styles of leadership. I could name dozens. How would you describe your style? It's unique. How would you put words to it? Yeah, that's, you know, I'd love to hear your dozens because I, I, I think that same way. I mean, there's a managerial leader and they're organizationally wired and that's why they're great leaders. Mm-hmm. They are the creator leader like Steve Jobs. He yep. maybe was a good leader, but he really was a great creator. And so he invented something amazing or brought a team together to invent something amazing. Mm-hmm. And then he became the leader. There are, you know, specialist leaders, and I feel like I'm a communication leader, and mm-hmm. there are certain leaders that their style mm-hmm. is they speak, and they speak things that allow people to see possibility, yep. and that's what I'm wired to do, is to speak things that other people aren't really thinking about, Yes, but when they hear them, they go, oh, wow, I could see that, and then somehow that voice galvanizes people, if you will, Mm -hmm. to try to achieve or to arrive into that destination. So I think I'm a visionary leader. The the process or mechanism of it isn't organizational. Mm -hmm. It's not, uh, sometimes it's creational, but not necessarily, um, but it's mostly about communication. Yes. It's leading through communication. And, And in my opinion, I would agree with you. And as one has observed you, I would say it's even like what I call artistic communication from my vantage point. And that may not be completely accurate, but it seems like you almost paint a picture with words and you visualize something and you help other people see what's possible, believe what's possible, and then you create with words. Much of what you do did not exist before. Yeah, my dad was a graphic designer and in his spare time, he was a painter an artist, and he really did a lot of abstract art. We've got a lot of it in our house, Shelly and myself. And so I grew up in an environment of smelling uh, markers and paint Mm -hmm. and 
you know, the things that an artist would use in the pre-digital age. Mm -hmm. And I have a high, high appreciation for art mm -hmm. and a great eye, I think, to try to see beauty in things and to see how can we create beauty in everything that we do. And But yet I'm wired to communicate, and in our language and faith, we would say I'm called to preach. Mm -hmm. That's my lane that I'm in. Mm -hmm. But I want to preach with art. And so a lot of people will walk away and say, I want to give you a concept to remember mm -hmm. or a principle to remember. I, I want to leave you with a picture yes. to remember. So yeah, I think it's really important that we embrace and celebrate different styles of leadership. And so if you, you would say you're artistic, and, and sometimes I've heard people say, like, working with the artists is challenging and because artists tend to create on their own timetable. How would you say if someone's working with someone who is more uh, creative in their leadership, artistic, how do they bring the best out of their creative leaders without squelching what's special about them? Well, if you're, if you're an artistic leader, you still have to really give your energy and effort to putting ballast in your boat. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I mean, you just have to work on being on time and being prompt and learning how to fit in a system. That doesn't mean you have to to totally morph into that. But you, if you want to lead and grow with people, you can't really be a pure artist. Mm -hmm. A pure artist isn't going to lead a movement. Mm -hmm. They're going to create <clears throat> the inspiration for that movement, but they're not going to have 75 people that work for them right. and uh, you know be knocking out meetings and taking ground in different areas. So if you're an artistic leader, you have to allow God to shape you and allow the people around you to help you mm -hmm. offset the deficits of being an artist, which are timetable flexibility, I'd like to call it, mm -hmm. um, and inspirational direction. So I'm going to go this way when I get inspired to go this mm -hmm. way. And I know we need to do it by 2 o'clock, but I'm not inspired to go that way yet. And so I think if I'm leading people who are artistic, I just want to appreciate celebrate what they have mm -hmm. by by and then gently just build around that Craig some of the structure that they're going to need to exponentially increase their ability to create mm -hmm. and creating is amazing but you know you, you Michelangelo only created about 40 things in his lifetime but one of them is a pieta mm -hmm. one of them is a sistine ceiling one mm -hmm. of them is the david so he's good yeah uh, but most people, you want to make more than 40 things in your lifetime. So you have to put structure around to help you exponentially tap into the potential of creation. That's good. That's really helpful. And I've got about a million questions on this next, next subject, and I'm glad we're having dinner together after because <laughs> I'm going to ask you more, but I'll ask you a few around this. This is fascinating to me. You're about my age, maybe a little bit older, and yet you're one of the greatest leaders to the emerging generation of anybody that I've known, which is there's a lot that I want to ask you about that in itself. In 2022, at the Passion Conference at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you had 55, 60,000 college-age students there, which is probably the largest gathering of college students in any single place. Amy and I have been to three of the last four of them and sat in the crowd just because I want to be around whoever is reaching that generation. That's fascinating. I want to ask you a few questions about it. First of all, like, how does someone older earn credibility with someone younger? Well, what people don't know, Craig, is that there's, well, you would, you would know, but 
there's a backstory to everything. Mm-hmm. So I didn't start doing events in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and I didn't start pouring into 18 to 25-year-olds when I was 64, which is what kept, I am right now. But you now. kept credibility with them all this time, and yeah, what don't. But I think the thing that, that the reason is because we served them when there was obscurity, really, mm-hmm. and in a pre-digital world. We, my wife and I woke up every day and served college students. Mm -hmm. And we did that in a college context at a school in Texas. And then we've done that through passion for over 25 years now. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I've learned in the, and how, you know, the how question has always been hard for me because I think that embedded in the answer to that question is a landmine that will cause me to lose the very thing that you're Mm -hmm. asking me about. Mm -hmm. And so if I were to answer your question and an 18 to 25-year-old person were hearing it today, mm-hmm. they, I might lose with them some of the footing mm-hmm. that I am so grateful to have with them mm-hmm. by putting in a how answer to the question mm-hmm. of being relevant to them. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I learned a long time ago, or not that long ago, but you know, 20, 30 years ago, when you're coming up leading young people, and that's been my focus most of my life, you want to be so relevant on the front end of the curve. So you're dropping references from rappers and your mm-hmm. messages, right. and you're trying to wear the right thing mm-hmm. and act like you're hip. And then you realize at some point, oh, they don't think I'm hip, and they don't think I'm cool, and, you're and not, they don't think and you're I'm relevant, too hard, right? and yeah, yeah. moreover, I'm not any of those yeah. things. And then if you're smart, you just embrace that Mm -hmm. and you realize, wait a minute, there's something else that's relevant more than cultural references. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's something more relevant than Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And it is honestly caring Mm -hmm. for them. Sure. It's not having a backside agenda. It's not trying to describe or define them. It's trying to understand them Mm -hmm. and serve them. Mm -hmm. So it's caring for them. And learning at the end of the day that the thing that's relevant is communicating value to them. You're valuable, but here's what's true. And the truth is the main thing that I can give you. And, you know, Jesus is a great leader. He was a great and is a great leader. And and what it says about him is he was the same or is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so my relevance isn't me. Mm -hmm. My relevance ultimately is him. And he stays relevant to every generation. And so if the story is about him, the story stays relevant yeah. in every generation. I want to try to summarize that because there's so much wisdom in there. And I can imagine some people right now, most people aren't going to go try to fill Mercedes stadiums, but they do want to have an impact. They want to influence. We have to, we all have to care about the emerging generation of leaders, no matter what we're leading, especially those of faith. We'd be insane not to. And so I want to try to just even for my own benefit is, is summarize what you said. I like the first, first of all, is that you're really not going to give a how because the moment you do, you, your, your how may not be as accurate as you think and you're going to lose credibility. But what you do know is that you genuinely care and you deeply believe in them. And you're not starting from a point of criticism, but a point of investing in them. And then you've, you've proven it by doing it when no one's watching and when there's only a handful of people and you don't fill stadiums in a year. You do it over time, building something special. And that really shows in what you've done. And I, and I think that's kind of why you've transcended time and, and you've done it for decades. And and I, I'm kind of saying this out loud because I want, I want leaders to hear this and say, you can still be relevant in what you're leading 30 years from now. 
you can still make a difference and and please please care about the emerging generation when we start from a point of criticism rather than point of empowerment we're going we, we all lose we don't yeah, get and and I think that you know the average uh, leader that's in my demographic might have a tendency to feel intimidated by by youth or intimidated by the new um, I don't understand this. I don't know about this. I'm not really adept at this and that and the other. So I feel more comfortable with my my demographic, mm-hmm. and we'll let somebody else. We'll let passion reach these guys. Right. But everyone can instantly be relevant to Gen Z overnight, mm-hmm. simply by just looking them in the eye and saying, "I care about you. Tell me about you." Mm-hmm. And the reason why a lot of the the how part, Craig, is dangerous is the people that are defining all these generations are who's defining them. Mm-hmm. Well, the marketplace maker is defining them because mm-hmm. they want to understand them because they want to sell their product to them. And so if you don't have a product to sell, you're ahead of the game already. That's so good. And if you're not intimidated by what answer you might get, you're ahead of the game already. And so ask questions, learn from people, try to understand who they are, and let them know that you're there to help them, mm-hmm. serve them. How can I serve you? Mm-hmm. Not how can you serve me? How can you mold to me? But how can I serve you? Mm-hmm. Is there any way I can help you? Is there anything I can do for you? Mm-hmm. This is always the leading way of leadership in everything we do. It's why every, ultimately, it's why every product is successful, why every organization is successful, because they started with, how can I help you? So I hope our community is hearing this, that from the best leaders we hear over and over again, it starts with you. How do we add value to your life? And, And a lot of leaders tend to think, you know, I want to recruit you to help me fulfill my vision. Rather than saying, I want to invest in you and together we can do something special. And so that just shows in your leadership. You you mentioned Gen Z. I am seeing a lot in this generation that is exciting to me. What what are some of the qualities that you see that that are giving you the most hope? Well, on the on the you know, structure side, these guys are industrious. They are. And um, the ones I'm talking to, they want to own things. Mm-hmm. They want to buy things. They want to they want to own a house. And there was a generation that's come along. And they're, and they're buying houses faster buying than houses, their older brothers and sisters. A lot yep. faster mm-hmm. than their older yep. brothers and sisters living mm-hmm. in a tiny house in New Zealand because they cashed out of everything they had. Mm-hmm. And they're on a two-year quest to just travel the world. Mm-hmm. While their younger brother said, that's great. Love you. Send me you know, picks, mm-hmm. but I want to buy a house. I don't want to pay rent on a condo. They're scrappier, yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's a whole different mindset. And I think we saw that happen in the nate in the nineties in America. And there was just like a a financial turnaround. And that's good news because, you know, this transfer of wealth that's happening mm-hmm. right now, the biggest in the history of humanity. That the the wealth that's going from the Zoomers I mean, the boomers mm-hmm. to the Zoomers mm-hmm. is just, it's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that's going to 23 and four and five and six year olds right now. And so I think, you know, that's good news that they have a very industrious mindset. But I also think that they are, um, they're, they're eager to take advantage of the moment mm-hmm. and to, to make a mark. And I, I think it's positive, and I'm excited to see how they're going to play that out. I am too. There's a lot of positive signs. And when I look at all that you're doing, it is pretty amazing. You're involved in so many different things. You Running a church is a full-time job, having a conference ministry, full-time job, producing music, all the creativity, the record labels, the mentoring and such. This morning, you helped lead a staff event. You also helped lead a men event. You hopped on a commercial flight. You're here entire time to do this and have dinner. That's a lot. How do you structure, manage your time? What can we learn from you 
to be more productive? Well, there are two tracks. You know, there's the track that says you need to pick two things and do those two things or one thing and do that one thing super well. And I, I, I'd say I would applaud that, but it has, has really worked well for me. Um, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm an A to B guy. Fortunately, I married an A to Z girl mm-hmm. and she's extremely talented. So she, and when I say that, I'm not just saying, oh, my wife's wonderful. She's got a master's, I mean, a business degree. She's run businesses. Yeah. She runs a big part of our organization <clears throat> and she is an A to Z person. In other words, if I say, hey, I think we should go to Mars, she's like, okay, you sure about that? All right. Is everybody else sure? Everybody want to go to Mars? Not just Louie. We all want to go to Mars? Great. Then let's go to Mars. Well, Craig, as soon as the the thrust comes out of the bottom of the rocket and you can tell that it's going to clear the launch pad, I am already over here, you know, trying to make uh, rugs, mm-hmm. you know, and Shelly's like, no, we are going to put that thing on Mars if it's the last thing I do. And so fortunately, I've got a lot of people around me that are A to Z people that allow, because I also have a lot of A to B people around mm-hmm. me because I attract A to B people. Mm-hmm. They like being around me and they like, you know, seeing things clear the launch pad and then moving on to the next thing. I just want to do a lot of things in life and I want to touch a lot of areas of life. And that's, that's part of the art that you talked about before. Art moves in different directions. So I can be as inspired about designing a new building as I could be about writing a new message because they're both expressions of art. And so I manage my time around uh, the, the priorities. Right. And so every, the priority for me is what's the big idea and what helps us clear the launch pad. That's what I prioritize around. And then the rest of it, it has to end up moving out to the, the C and the D and the F and the J mm-hmm. and the M and the N and the Z people. And I come back in at critical moments to help make sure things are clearing the so launch pad. I, yeah, I, want to, I want some more details about that because, Louis, you are, you are a visionary. You're an entrepreneur. You start a lot of different things but they last. It's not like you're in it. You're not building businesses to sell. You're actually creating most of the time ministries and organizations that go for decades. So there's a little bit more to it. What I'd like to know is what does that look like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, weekends? Where do you put your time? Are you in meetings? Are you throwing stuff at a wall, seeing what sticks or you, is it different every week? What is, what is a week? Yeah, there's like? not a lot of rhythm and rhyme in it. It, uh, Mondays is a Sabbath for me. Mm-hmm. So obviously Sunday is a pretty important work day for me. Sure. Monday is a Sabbath day, but at sundown on Sabbath, my brain is really starting to organize what is important this week. Mm-hmm. And that's what all leaders are doing. They're, they're trying to whittle things down to a, you know, a, a four item list. And so by four o'clock, five o'clock, that's what I'm doing. My main leadership meetings are on Tuesday morning. That could be global leadership one week. The next week, it's it's a little bit more of a smaller leadership circle. But those are big idea. Are we moving the big ideas and the right ideas down the road? So those are Tuesday morning. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, I have more meetings that are structural meetings that look the same every single week. Wednesday is tackling uh, whatever are the priority items this week. And so it could be a publishing meeting today. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be an album or a label meeting mm-hmm. in the afternoon. It could be something about you know church. But what are the priority things? Thursday is um, a random day. 
Today was a Thursday, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of different moving pieces today. Friday is a day that I'm really focusing on Sunday and getting everything finished for the talk that I've probably been working on for three or four or five or six weeks mm-hmm. in time, woven into all of that process. Friday, that message gets done, finished, settled, and then Saturday is um, hopefully a down day. So it sounds like you've got structured flexibility. So you've got some structure with some fixed categories in place with lots of flexible time to attend to whatever is the priority of the moment. And then you probably, you're surrounded by just amazing people that cover details in and out. Absolutely. And I, you know, for me, I'm not really inspired by the routine of Mm -hmm. meeting. Mm -hmm. In fact, it actually is the thing that, you know, causes my anxiety to go up. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do the meetings I have to do, and you know I'm like you and every other leader. If you just keep saying yes, then you turn into the yes. you know the meeting king. Mm-hmm. And I try to minimize that, but I you know we have a big organization, and I'm I have a touch point in a lot of it. So I but I also like that, and Shelley is like that. Fortunately, we're both wired the same way that I can walk out of a numbers meeting. And walk right into a thing like yesterday. At the end of the day, all of a sudden, two creatives show up in my office. And like, we want to show you three pitches for mm-hmm. four different things we're working on. And it was all about art and typefaces and typography mm-hmm. and colors and palettes and moods and things. And I just left the day so inspired. Mm-hmm. But where I had started that day was just there was a big numbers thing that had to happen. Then there was a big strategy thing that had to happen. But it ended with two incredible designers sitting in my office. And I just, that's what inspires me is just moving from topic to topic, speed to speed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Shelly and I both have the ability to, to retain a lot of information. And so we don't leave the meeting and go, man, I got to go read up on what was that we talked about, but it's the ability to, to just shift and move and, in a lot of different directions. And that's not something that we could do Craig on day one. We didn't do that on day one. On day one, we just got up and went to work and did one thing. But over time, we did start a record label. But that was 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing that for 25 years. We understand it. It's part of our rhythm and and our vernacular and our understanding, our mindset. So I didn't start a church until I was 50. So I didn't know how to do that. Which is crazy, by the way. 14 years ago. I don't (laughs) highly recommend it, but I don't not recommend it either. Um, But then, you know, it's an interesting story, and I just want to put that into every leader that's watching us today, because you have to be careful what you allow people to speak into your story. We talked about having the right people around you with perception Mm -hmm. and getting the right pace. A guy said to me, they actually said to another guy at a lunch when I was about 30 years old, um, after I spoke at a youth event, and we got sat down at lunch, and a guy said, Louis, what do you see yourself doing long term? And I didn't know what I saw myself doing long-term, so I didn't come up with an immediate answer. And I'm kind of thinking it out, about ready to say something, and this guy speaks up. And he goes, well, I'll tell you one thing he's not going to do. And the guy now is talking to this guy. He says, well, what's he not going to do? He goes, he is not going to be a local church pastor, I'll wow. tell you that. And I, and, I, and I didn't necessarily want to be a local church pastor, so I, I didn't interject. And this guy says, well, why, don't, why do you say he doesn't want to be a local church pastor? Well, because listen to the way he speaks. He just comes in, he tells it like it is, he drops the bomb, boom, he's out. Mm-hmm. He said, you can't do that Sunday after Sunday mm-hmm. after Sunday. So he would never be a local church pastor. And the other guy's, well, I can kind of see what... So they're having a conversation about, your future. about my future. Yeah. <laughs> and I walked away, drove home, no kidding. And I thought to myself, yeah, I'll probably never be a local church pastor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, A, I've been around it enough, and it's a brutal job. Mm. 
And uh, why would anybody want to do that? Lo and behold, you're a pretty dang good one. And so I just set out on a course, became an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. uh, became a ministerial visionary entrepreneur, got involved with passion, and uh, was on my way to not being a local church pastor until God finally tapped long enough to go, hey, that guy said that. Mm -hmm. I never said that. I would like for you to spend the next chapter of your life being a local church pastor. And I was like, wow. And it sadly, Craig, took me about five years to peel the layers off what had built up from what somebody else wow. had spoken about my life. So mm-hmm. I, I, I love it when somebody says, hey, I've got a mm-hmm. word for you. But I always kind of, when they say that, I go, Lord, help me. Yeah. Because I want to make sure whatever they're about to say right now doesn't in any way mm-hmm. impede mm-hmm. what you're thinking about. So I'm wondering, I wonder if there's someone listening right now that has been limited by the words of someone else and uh, their their opinion is not the final say in your life and calling. 100%. And so uh, you, you never know. A lot of people would say, 50 is too too old to start a church and and uh there's uh, there's people who prove that 70 is not too old to start something and and uh so I'm curious too you you had you've had so many good ideas and launched so many things how do you test the quality of a new idea wow that probably depends on what the idea is mm-hmm. but I think for me the way I do Craig is I I want to be open so putting the right people around you and then testing an idea verbally is the right move for me and seeing what you get back from people. Not anybody, mm-hmm. but from trusted people around so you. So how many people can tell you that's a dumb idea? Uh, four or five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe higher, but mm-hmm. two or three for sure, four or five. Mm-hmm. And they do. Um, people will say, I don't, well, I don't know if say it's a dumb idea, but people will say, well, you know, I don't think we should do that, or I think we should do this instead. Right. And the number one of those, and I know this is not the Shelly and Louie po- uh, podcast, but the number one of those is Shelly. And Shelly, you know, respects me, honors me, I'm the head of our home, whatever you need to put in your little bucket. But she is not afraid to tell me, like, from the drop, mm. that is a terrible idea. Yeah. I think I've seen that before, actually. You know, yeah. you have. <laughs> and the best thing about it is, and I love it, and mm. she, and I love it, our team doesn't love it at all. Uh-huh. But we, we work together. And so when we work together, she doesn't say, oh, Pastor Louis said we're going to Mars. We're going to Mars. Because Pastor Louis said we're going to Mars. She'll go, we're not going to Mars. And I'll go, babe, we have to go to Mars. And she'll go, no, we're, we're definitely going you know, to Neptune. And I'm like, oh, no, we can't go to Neptune. And now the whole room just goes silent because they're like, are we in the middle of a marital crisis? And I'm like, no, we're just disagreeing with each right. other about what we should do next. And I listened to her. Um, when we planted the church, you know, she finally convinced me that we weren't doing that after a lot of conversation and said, nope, I'm not doing that. Good luck if you want to do it. Because she knew I would be the A to B guy yep. and she would be the A to Z girl. But eventually the Lord kind of got us on the same page. But I, I listened to her and I listened to, to my key guys on my team. And if they say that's dumb um, and guys on my board, some of them been with me for a long, long time. And when they say that's not a good idea, I go, uh, talk to me more about that. Yeah. It's incredibly important for all of us to have people in our lives that can say no. And if, if we don't have that, we're very, very vulnerable. And I think it's one of the things that helps you stay focused is people that have the credibility and the permission to tell you, Louie, let's not do that. Harry, let's look at it this way. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about communication because you are, this is a massive gift for you. 
And I think I think everyone listening right now would agree that communicating well is a very, very important part of leadership. You take it to another level of, of excellence. I've seen you at different events make tens of thousands of people feel like you're speaking one-on-one. And I've seen you inspire tens of thousands of people. They, they could run through a wall all at once. When you prepare to give any kind of a presentation, where, where do you start in your mind? I start with a with a an idea of uh, what either what is what in back to my world of faith. What does God want to speak into this moment, mm-hmm. or what do you need God to speak into this moment? Mm-hmm. And so I'm always trying to have an antenna up for that everywhere I go, all the time, mm-hmm. and to walk out of a situation or into a situation and go, "Wow, God needs to speak into this moment." Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of uh, death in our immediate church family mm-hmm. this last three, four months. Every week, there's another family that's walking through a very hard season, and so it just was percolating in me. You know, what does happen to someone when they die? What what is on the other side of that last breath? Mm-hmm. How can we be confident about the outcomes that have mm-hmm. eternal? You know framework around them. And so we just did four weeks at church on a title of what um, the uh, matter of life and death was the title of collection. Um, From the feedback I'm getting right now, the Mm. best thing I've ever preached in my entire life. Mm. But I think it was because I was coming out of people's pain, their world, Mm. what they're walking through, the questions that I know they have right now. Mm -hmm. Our family, we just, Shelly's dad just went to heaven a few months ago, and I know what this is. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I start with a need and a desire to speak into a need to persuade people to a certain outcome mm-hmm. that I believe is the best outcome for them. And you just had your first preaching conference, what, what the title of it was? Speak. Speak. And I was honored to be a part of it, and you had a couple of days of some of the some great communicators teaching. Uh, in your own communication development, is there something you've learned to... Um, recently this made you a better communicator? You know, recently, um, I think, I, I would say it this way, the answer to that, I, I want to be a good communicator. And I feel like that's that's the best thing going for me, is that I want to be a good communicator. Mm-hmm. So I work hard at it um, because I want to be good at it. Mm-hmm. And I think is, and so I'm not denying the fact that I have a gift I'm I'm not trying to, you know, play that down and play the humble card because mm-hmm. that just is stupid. You know, that that looks like pride when you try to play the humble right. card. So I recognize that I have a gift, but I also want to be a great communicator. Like I'm going to be uh, teaching for you mm-hmm. uh, very soon. Yes. I want to do such a good message, mm-hmm. not for you because I already know you love me mm-hmm. and uh, I want to do a good message mm-hmm. just like Craig Groeschel sends me a text mm-hmm. with a photo of your laptop mm-hmm. screen. Mm-hmm. You are working on your speak talk, mm-hmm. and you are telling me in the text, this is one of the hardest talks I've ever worked right. on. This is my version, I don't remember, seven or eight right. or ten or something. And then you get there, and I, and then you go through your process, and all the energy and effort you put into this, and people are like, Craig Groeschel, he's a phenomenal communicator. They would be f- floored mm-hmm. by how seriously you took it, how much effort you put into it, mm-hmm. and probably how much of a grind was going on yeah. as you went into it. And people will be surprised at that about me. I can speak yep. off the fly just like that. I can do an extemporaneous talk that people would think I worked on for six months. I can do that. 
But that's not my approach. My approach is I want to be a good communicator. Right. And so if somebody's watching this, I would just say the best thing you can do as a communicator is want to be a great communicator. Mm -hmm. As soon as you think you're a great communicator, you're already on the downslope of losing your edge as a communicator. <laughs> that's, that's powerful. And so I want to repeat that. You, we're going to want to be a good communicator. And then you, then you said it, and it's so true, you're going to work at it. And what that means is everything, meaning doing your homework about the subject more than people would ever imagine, doing your homework about your audience, like understanding who they are, how their lives are different than yours, how they're similar, you're working on your presentation, all the way down to, I mean, everything, the, the environment, the room, it, it's, it, there's details nonstop. And so we're going to want it, we're going to work at it. And I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate your investment in communicators and if you do that again, I'll tell our audience to come because it's, it's well, your super, message super there was amazing, and hopefully Thank we'll you. have it available for people sometime soon. But just want to say something real, real fast, um, if I can, about that. I if per, too much information probably, but I I don't normally have like a body odor issue. That's just not <laughs> one of my things. But when I get under intense pressure. Mm -hmm. Bam. In two seconds, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, my word, I should have worn deodorant. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, oh, no. But not too long ago, I was at a wedding and I was asked to do a little part. After the whatever, you're going to come up and you're going to either say a blessing. I don't remember all the details and maybe do a prayer. It was just a little few minute thing. Somebody else is doing the wedding. Somebody else is marrying the people. Well, sure enough, we get there and bam, it happens. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you're kind of stuck in that moment. And so I turn to a buddy of mine who's involved and I say, oh my word, I just, you know, I have this terrible BO. It happens when I get under extreme pressure and I get in these critical moments and, you know, either climbing uh, the, the Matterhorn, it happened, uh -huh. you know, I'm talking about critical moments. And he goes, he just looked at me and he said, it was a blessing and a prayer at a wedding. And that was a critical moment for you. And I went, Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the look on the person's face let me know that they were floored by the fact that I thought this is a big, big, big deal. Mm -hmm. And so what we're given the stewardship of as leaders, if we lose the, the sense of what we're entrusted with, mm -hmm. then immediately our abilities start to diminish yes. with our lack of appreciation for the entrustment that has been put in our hands. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I can talk, you know, for three or four weeks about communicating. I don't know if I'd make any sense or not, because I don't even know how I communicate half the time. But I just think it's the approach, Craig, mm -hmm. that it's is, the weight you put on makes it. you yes. better. Yes. It, you you know the value. You know how it can move people. You know how it can change lives. And so you don't want to ever waste any moment. And you're going to bring your best every time. And there's no small moments. Yeah. yeah, and that's a that's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. So your uh, book, and I'm gonna have you teach on this at our church: putting an X through anxiety, breaking free from the grip of fear and stress. Man, I tell you what, everywhere I go, everyone I talk to right now, there are people all over dealing with anxiety. You are writing this out of personal experience. I understand. 
Yeah, and this was a, even a pre-pandemic you know pandemic thing. This was a companion to a book that I wrote called Goliath Must Fall. Mm-hmm. And we actually did it, Craig, as a, uh, a drip campaign, daily devotional, but it was so well-received. I mean, it, was as, it just blew us out of the water. So mm-hmm. we took it, we updated it, we put more around it, it's got more substance to it. But the thing I love about it is I sat down at my computer, wrote every word, didn't have a team around me when I first created this. And it was just me telling my story, and it's not my story to help you with your story. Mm -hmm. It's really God's truth to help us with our story. Mm -hmm. But I'm not talking theoretically about anxiety and depression. I've been down in that hole, Mm -hmm. uh, way down in it, uh, to a place where I really honestly didn't think I was going to ever be uh, back to me again. Mm -hmm. I never would have dreamed. I mean, and I'm not making, you know, trying to make this up. I would have, if you'd come to my house when I was in this hole and said, hey, you know, God's going to work. And one day you'll be sitting down with Craig Groeschel on his leadership podcast. I would have just looked at you and said, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, God brought me through it and brought me out of it. And I'm not oblivious to it um, and impervious to it. It's a better word. It's still in my story. I got shattered so hard by depression mm. that it i it's just a part of my story now mm-hmm. uh, but i i know how to manage it is the key and I, god has given me the grace to know how to manage it and when you fall in that hole you don't know you don't know there was a hole right now you're in it and you didn't even know there was one so you certainly don't know don't how to know get how out to of get it out, right. and then when you get out of it you kind of want to close the door on it and go on about your life mm-hmm. But God asked me to keep that door open and do the one thing most guys don't want to do, which is talk about weakness and say, yeah, I still have the scars from that experience, Mm -hmm. and I still deal with anxiety even now, Mm -hmm. but I know how to allow God to help me uh, overcome it. So, well, I appreciate you being transparent. A lot of times in leadership, we want to appear more invincible or we don't, we don't want to show weakness. And the reality is every single one of us as leaders, we have, we have insecurities, we have low times, we can get really discouraged. And I'm talking Louis more and more business leaders that are hurting ministry leaders that don't even know if they want to stay in ministry. Can you tell us a little bit, maybe we can learn what was your journey out? Like what would, what did you do differently to help you step out of the depression and overcome or at least manage the anxiety? Well, for me, it was a multi-track thing. I, I was really shattered. So mm-hmm. I, it wasn't, um, it was a long process where I had a doctor helping me. Mm-hmm. I had uh, another doctor who really had more psychological background helping me. There was spiritual input going on. There was medication involved, mm-hmm. and I know people have different views on that. But uh, I, my brain was really messed up, mm-hmm. and I needed help getting it reset, and, and it was going to take time. And it took about six months for me to to get to the reset mark Mm -hmm. and then it took that was the beginning of growing out of it and there wasn't really and i'm going to talk about this i know people want want give me three handles well there are handles Mm -hmm. i mean if you go look up depression anxiety stress online what are the top five things to do they're the same five things on every website you go to go outside Mm -hmm. breathe change your diet Mm -hmm. get exercise um, talk to someone right. about the things that are that you're struggling with. Get community around mm-hmm. you and get to a place where you can offload mm-hmm. some of this stuff that you're stuffing down. Those are all they they all work actually. 
you know, I used to laugh at people that talked about breathing exercises. <laughs> and then I, I realized, oh, wow, I tried one of them and they actually work sure. because there is a physiological mm -hmm. thing that happens, a neurological process that happens when you breathe. Yeah. And for me, I two things pushed me in the hole, I think, and it took me time to really peel this back. One of them was a need for other people's approval mm. that was, that mm -hmm. was latent. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't fully understood because I hadn't planted a local church yet. Mm -hmm. And I don't recommend planting a local church if you have a high need for other people's approval. Mm -hmm. The second thing, Craig, was control. And that also was latent, but it, it wasn't problematic because we were doing events all over the world. And I didn't really manage a team of 100 people, and we weren't in it Monday to Sunday. We were here, and then we were there, and I could control it all kind of. You plan a local church, guess what? You're not controlling hardly anything, if anything. And then you realize in life, you're not controlling anything. So if you have a high need for approval and a high need for control, which I had both of, and when we planted the church, that was kind of a part of it. And those two things just pushed me in the hole. And so I had to come back and face them and admit them and learn from them. And at the end of the day, I had to reconnect with the shepherd. And I've come to the end of a lot of days, Craig, where I just say to him, I mean, not pray to heaven, but say to him, I'm going to put this in your hands tonight. Mm -hmm. You hold it, please, because I can't deal with it. I can't control it. I can't manage it. So I'm going to put it in your hands, and I need to go to sleep now because I'm not invincible. Mm -hmm. And when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to trust that maybe you worked on it during the night, uh, but at least you held it yeah. during the night. Well, the book is called Putting an X Through Anxiety. And I want to take a moment and just, I always try to envision you, the listener in our leadership community and what you're going through right now. And I know that there are so many people that are hurting right now. And I want to kind of reiterate what, what Louis said, that this was a process and it took you six months just to kind of hit the reset button. And that I've even heard of some stories that takes longer than that. And so you, you didn't do it alone. You had a lot of help. You had a community of help. You had a lot of support around you. You had doctors, you had medical advice, you had practical advice, you had a spiritual community, you reconnected with the good shepherd. And, and there are those of us who are faith leaders who talk about it and get disconnected from the vine without even meaning mm -hmm. to it. It's not that we're yeah. not necessarily in sin, not doing anything immoral. Just sometimes, sometimes we let the work of God replace our own relationship with God, which can be a real issue. And so if there is someone out there right now that, that you're hurting and you feel alone, you feel like there's no hope, I just want to want to want you to know there is help, but you're gonna have to ask for it. And it may not come overnight, and it may take it may take a year, it may take two years, but uh, it's 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 possible to find healing, and it's possible to work through it. I would love it if you would talk to some leaders right now and just someone that's hurting, someone that's discouraged, and give them: Is there a word of encouragement you have for a leader right now that doesn't know if they have what it takes to go on? Well, I think it's okay, Craig, and it's important for us to say that we don't have what it takes to go on. And so instead of me, you know, really wanting to give a pep talk to people today who are kind of at a low mm -hmm. and say, come on, you can do it. I, I have found um, in this last season, particularly, which has been extraordinarily challenging, um, there have been, you know, and I'm cautious to say this, especially around my team and, and in public where people who work with me and for me can hear what we're talking about right now. 
But there were a couple of places in the last three years where we just came to the we're out point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and seriously, like we're over dinner now, mm-hmm. we're talking it through, we're out. Mm-hmm. Um, but in every case, we woke up and we stepped back in. And I call that good quitting. And it's been the lifesaver for me. Mm. So if someone was struggling listening to us right now, I would encourage them in towards good quitting. Mm. And good quitting is when you say, I don't have what it takes to go anymore. Mm. I don't have, I can't pull myself up for one more round. I, I am tapped out. Then say, I'm out. This is never an ending with God. It's always a beginning with God. The ending with God is when we say, I can do it. I can make it. Hmm. I can pull through. That's always the ending with God. The beginning with God is, I can't. And that's when he always says, and I can. And so I would encourage you today to lean into the gospel of, I can't, Hmm. and let go of the rope. And realize when you do, God's grace is going to be a big enough net for you to fall into. Bad quitting is when we just finally just break. There is no more. And we were like, broke, snapped, out, done. That's bad quitting. Mm. Good quitting is, God, I can't do this anymore. Mm. So I'm sorry, but I quit. Mm. And he goes, awesome. I was kind of hoping you'd quit. Mm. Because you need to see that when you quit, there's even more of me Mm. available to you. And so when you quit like that, for me, my personal experience is you wake up in the morning and you and you feel different because you slept, you quit all night. So all night long, you weren't staring at the ceiling. You were like, I'm out. I'm good. And then you wake up and you feel different. You really do feel a lift and you realize that God's smiling and, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I'm going to work today. And he goes, yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to work today. <laughs> oh, you're going to lead church yeah. today. And I'm like, yeah, yes, I'm going to lead church today. Yeah. Um, And you're going to give me what I need to do it. Mm. And I would just encourage anybody at the low, low, then then don't try to will your way through the low, low. That's good. Mm -hmm. Just speak it out Mm -hmm. and share it with the person closest to you that isn't going to freak out and say, I think I need to quit today. Um, I'm I'm, I'm kind of planning on going back to work tomorrow, but I'm thinking I'm going to quit today. And I think if you do that every couple months, it kind of release, releases the buildup of what is what we all know is real, which mm-hmm. is we don't have what it takes. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to write the leader, leadership book that says you have what it takes. Mm-hmm. I want to write the leadership book that says you really don't have what it takes. But praise God, we're in a relationship with an endless source of what it takes. That is very, very powerful and very personal. And thank you for telling your story in such a way. And that kind of, I think is a good metaphor that would give people kind of permission to do some good quitting and to get to the end of themselves, which is a very strong part of the gospel that when we're weak, that that his strength is made perfect. And so I think there's some people that can say, I I don't have what it takes. and, And that means a lot. If people want to find you, find out more about Lou Giglio and about passion movement, where do they go? Yeah, Louis Giglio, that's the place. So louisgiglio.com is a hub for a lot of information, but passionconferences.com as well. And I'd love to invite everybody, Craig, to you know think about leaning towards the bins with us. Mm-hmm. It's a big undertaking, and it's not just something we do. I really think it's a stewardship of something that God is doing for this generation. 
So if people would, we're six, seven months away from being back at the bins yep. and it's a Mount Everest every single time. So, and the dates um, this year would be? Yeah, January 3rd through the 5th, Atlanta, Georgia, passion2024.com. Yeah. Well, just as your friend, I've been one that has tried to support you by coming and sitting both to learn and to support the emerging generation, because I, I feel like it's one of the most important things that happens out there. So I would say um, to our leadership community um, of all ages, it's something worthy of supporting. And especially if you've got college age students, do everything you can to get them with their friends there, because it's, it is a life changing, not just conference, but it's, um, it's, it's the beginning of a ongoing community that's very powerful. So hats off to what you do. And um, I'm incredibly grateful. The book is putting um, an X through anxiety. And I just want to say um, to you and our community, like you have permission to not have what it takes. All of us as leaders, we hit the end and we have our own limitations. And so you can embrace that. And there's a strength beyond what you have on the other side. I want to thank you sincerely for being a part of our leadership community. We've got a new teaching that drops on the first Thursday of every month, along with bonus episodes often um, throughout the month. And again, get the leader guide, go to life.church leadership podcast. And um, this podcast could be helpful to a lot of people, this episode especially. And so if you post on social media, be sure and tag Louis Giglio or um, tag me and we may repost you to help get more people in this community to grow in their leadership because we know that everyone wins when the leader gets better. 